Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting live on WCEV 1450 AM, and we are streaming live at WCEV1450.com. See, I left off the www. If you're new to uh, the Radio Islam family, welcome. Uh, we're a live call-in talk radio program, and we air every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, right here from Chicago, Illinois. And you can keep up with us by following us on social media, by liking our pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where you will find us at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And if you've got a comment or a question, anything that you would like to, uh, to have uh, thrown into the mix tonight, We'd love to hear from you at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. And remember, whatever you hear, you can always find us wherever you get your podcast. Right? So remember, if you like it, sure that somebody else will like it also. So share it with them wherever you, have, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, all that good stuff out of the way. Assalamu alaikum again. I hope everybody is doing well. Um, we've got a we've got a we've got a good good program tonight. Uh, we've got the uh, jobs report uh, with the uh, Chicago Urban League. Uh, in the second half of tonight's program, we're going to be talking with uh, with just a Someone who's become one of my my favorite uh, favorite folks to talk to, uh, Layla Abdullah um, Pulos. Uh, she's a founder and managing editor of NBA Muslims. We spoke with her last uh, month. The conversation was so good. I said, you know what? I think we need to talk to you on a on a regular basis. So we're going to be talking about Muslim fiction, uh, and a really a particularly really um, interesting book called Tightrope. But before we get all to that, let's just. Look at a few things that have taken place uh, in the news, and I'm sure you all were listening uh, to the news report by uh, the impressive one, Ibrahim Bey. Uh, and he mentioned the, uh, the Austin, the, the, the bomber, the serial bomber, who has come to an end, or at least the individual has come to an end. A uh, 23-year-old uh, man, and he had been on a, a spree, Right, I think it was a uh, four bombs, three or four bombs. Was it three? Yeah, three or four bombs. And um, one of the victims was a 17-year-old African American male, uh, high school student, um, a double bassist, right? So a, a classical uh, musician uh, who people, you know, that the spoke about him, they, they spoke glaringly about him. Uh, speaking uh, often, as people do when they're talking about young people uh, who show drive and are, who are involved, just talking about his, his promise, you know, the potential, the life that uh, many people saw ahead of him. And he was one of the people that was killed by the bombs, these package bombs, that this, that this individual was um, was setting. Now, what I want to to bring up is the the disparity, because we we know we're not gonna we're not gonna hear how this particular act of violence was covered with uh, with kid gloves, was covered in a way where there was no mention of real, uh, at least I don't recall it in any mainstream media where they were talking about it as a uh, as domestic terrorism right that wasn't that wasn't well, that wasn't mentioned uh, and it certainly wasn't talked about in terms of being uh, racially motivated and and yes I'm aware that I think the third the third bombing uh, there was a uh, there was a white uh, individual I think who was uh, the victim of it I don't think I don't think they died but uh, they were injured. So for some, that took, the, uh, that, took that consideration off the table uh, of it being racially motivated. But 
For others of us, the more important factor is that this is a this is an individual who is who is running around uh, setting set, setting bombs off, uh, mailing uh, package bombs to people, and never once did we have the type of uh, panic or the type of uh, energy uh, and um, there, there was no there was no real conversation around it as uh, as it could have been or as it would have been if the suspected individual were anything other than white uh, particularly if the person had been Muslim or if the individual had been a person of color then it would have been uh, completely and this is the thing we, we know that this would have been a completely different uh, situation. It would have been a, com a completely different uh, narrative that would have been uh, put into the, uh, that would have been uh, strewn across all of the major outlets. So I'm just taking this, taking this moment to just, just call out the hypocrisy. Um, finding out that this is a, a young white man um, that was committing these acts of terror, but still as I said, it's not going to be referred to as domestic terrorism, because according to the, according to our, uh, according to our news outlets, I guess that's just not possible. Terrorism is the strict domain of uh, of the immigrant, of uh, those of the melanated, uh, of the Muslim. So hypocrisy called. That's 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 really all I can say on that. Um, anything on it? No. Okay. Probably Bree might want to jump in on that. So. So we're gonna move forward, and we're gonna do so uh, without anything really changing. And you know what? I'm gonna throw this out real quick too. Now I'm I'm from uh, I'm from the Inglewood community, went to the Auburn Gresham community, but basically I'm fr from the south side uh, of Chicago. And being from Chicago, uh, you know, I, I think I can say that I've I have I witnessed or I have been in the vicinity or I've heard about being from these communities. Uh, I've heard about and I have uh, in some cases uh, where I have I have witnessed. Uh, acts of violence. Uh, now that is not to, to to paint with a broad uh, a broad brush and say that just because you are in a community uh, that is predominantly black that it is going that everybody is going to have the same experience, uh, and that's certainly not what I, what I'm trying to do. But what I'm what I'm trying to get to is is that I can understand the violence that has taken places that that has taken place in communities where economic opportunities. Uh, where edu uh, are, are curtailed or far and few in between or educational uh, achievement or involvement is, um, you know, is, is little or none. Uh, I can understand that violence in places where uh, family life has been, um, has been uh, d destroyed or, or drastically altered or handicapped. Uh, I can understand violence when it is attached to uh, in in the presence of poverty because these things they often go hand in hand, right? So, but what I can understand, and 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 before I move on, I can say this: I also see the the remedy for that violence. Now, what I don't see, what I have yet to understand, um, is the uh, any real efforts, any real efforts on the fact uh, on the parts of any of our national uh, leadership to address this violence that 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 took place uh, in Texas by this 23-year-old man, where he took the lives of individuals, where he held the community uh, under siege. Um, I don't understand. The remedy, I shouldn't say I don't understand because there's a spiritual component to that as well, right? That's another, that's another conversation. But we're not having that conversation. We're not having a conversation on how to remedy 
that violence? How to remedy the violence from someone like a, a Dylan Roof or Stephen uh, Paddock or the violence that comes about from, uh, from any, any uh, number of, of people who have committed uh, acts of violence and it's not rooted in a survival, um, it's not rooted in, in survival, it's not rooted in, uh, you know, fear for, for their lives or anything like that, but just rooted in, best I can say, just in hatred, right? Just, just straight, pure hatred. And that in itself, I think, has to be a part of our national dialogue on confronting that. And that means that, uh, last thing I'm going to say before we go into this job report, that means that we also have to look at our networks, right? our major news networks, um, one of which I'm just going to call out Fox on this one. Uh, one of their longtime contributors, Trump supporter, uh, and I only mention that to say that he's not a he was he was not he's not a plant, right? But he 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 sent in a, a resignation letter or a letter saying that he was not going to renew his contract, uh, and he basically put Fox on blast, calling them a propaganda machine, right? That they are they are uh, carrying to the lowest uh, common denominator that they are pushing. Uh, that they are pushing uh, fears and paranoia uh, and basically serving as a, a, a I don't want to say, it, yeah, serving as a rubber stamp uh, for Trump or giving him his talking points. So um, if we're going to have a real conversation about that, if that's ever going to be possible, then our media, our news outlets, I think, are also going to have to take a uh, position on that uh, and be front and center on allowing that type of uh of, uh, of conversation to take place that because the, the media is our news is going to allow us to uh, to be introspective we, we, we expect for our, our our journalists we expect for the people that are covering um, the, the issues that are important uh, and uh, that have resonance with us uh, as Americans we expect them to be able to do so in a way that allows us to to, to come up with questions that are going to help us to uh, to, to see things uh, in, in a more in a clearer light, so that's just my um, that's just my take on it, and I hope we do get to that point where this hypocrisy that we continue to see, that we can move past that, um, and that's a that's a that's a big wish, but I think that's also one of the important one of the important aspects and benefits of a program like this and. Uh, in, in any of those programs around uh, the country, around the world for that matter, that will bring up those issues uh, and those points that are passed uh, in, the, in, our, in our major uh, media outlets. So that being said, uh, Radio Sun family, we're going to go ahead and check out the jobs report um, with the um, Chicago Urban League. And remember, if you're not looking for a job, you might know someone who is. So share this with them. All right, Radio Slime family. This is Tariq Elamine, your host. And you can tell by the sound of that music that it is time for the jobs report with the Chicago Urban League and our good friend Kimberly Pearson, employment specialist. And we're going to talk with her. She's going to let us know what jobs are available, uh, what's going on this week. Kim, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, great to have you online. Always great to be on. So, uh, so you got got anything going on this week? I do. I have some exciting events happening here at the Urban League. Uh, but first, I'm going to just talk briefly about a few positions that we uh, know about and think would be great for the radio audience and anyone in Chicago looking for employment. So first up, uh, we have a relationship with the MV Transportation and Logistics Company. They are in dire need of uh, drivers. They need multiple drivers, actually. And you can actually go in and apply for their positions uh, anytime, Monday through Friday, between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. at 44. 44- 
1500 West 45th Street here in Chicago, Illinois. You can apply online at careers.mztransit.com, or again, you can apply online. And just to kind of uh, help sell it and, and realize what some of the benefits are, is in this uh, employment opportunity, you get school bus permit training. And you get that, that's something you can take and use anywhere else. Positions are full-time and part-time, so both are available. And then, of course, we all love a little extra cash. There is a $500 sign-on bonus available for individuals that qualify. I'm going to send that flyer over to you again. The location to apply is 4400 West 40, uh, 45th Street, anytime between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. And our lovely friends at SGA Youth and Family Services is looking to fill a program coordinator position for their Midwest Healthy Start program. And this person would work to maintain relationships with the actual organization and service providers as well as other collaborating organizations uh, within the city. Must have a bachelor's degree and at least two years of work experience to apply. If you're interested, you can submit your resume and cover letter to lsergeant-davis at sga-youth.org. Um, the next position up I have is the Hilton Chicago Oak Brook Hills Resort and Conference Center. They're looking to find applicants for multiple levels of administrative and management level positions. If you are someone you know that's interested in working in this type of environment, again, this is an industry where you can move up, you can move around, and you can make good money doing so, please visit their website at uh, portfolio portfoliohotels.snaphire.com and then go to the page for Hilton Chicago Oak Brook to go ahead and apply for some of the opportunities available. And now I just want to talk about some of the great partnerships that we have going on um, here at the Urban League. And the one that we really are pushing right now is our partnership with certain public school agencies. And we've got two going right now, one with Noble Charter Schools and then one with the Academy of Urban School Leadership, or AUSL. And basically this is an effort to increase the level of diversity in public school education, particularly in administration. Uh, we have a few different positions open for both of those agencies for individuals that's interested they can give us a call directly at 773-624-8800, and we can give you instructions on how to go ahead and apply and what some of those openings will look like. Also here in uh, Chicago Urban League's Workforce Development Department, this is hot off the presses. We just launched this program literally two days ago. We started intake and registration. We are launching our solar energy jobs training program. And this program is a 48-hour training that incorporates classroom training and hands-on lab activities for individuals that are interested in working in solar and renewable energy. We know that is an industry that is taking off big time, and we are one of the premier partners with ComEd and some other wonderful uh, corporations that's investing into this program. For people that are interested, you can come here to the Urban League and apply in person. You would need to bring your ID, your Social Security card or birth certificate or passport, and your resume. And while interest in the or experience in the electrical or construction industry is not required, it's definitely a plus. You can come in and apply anytime, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. We will be here to take your application. And while you're here, you can get more details on the program. And then we discussed this last week a little bit, and I know that uh, my coworkers in the other in our entrepreneurship and innovation center, their lines have been jumping off the hook. Uh, but for anyone that's interested in learning more about cryptocurrency and how to invest in it or just want to know what it is, tomorrow we have from 6.30 p.m. until 8.30 p.m., we will be hosting a class on all things crypto. You can RSVP for this event on Eventbrite and search All Things Crypto to pull it up. But if you have questions or need more information on it, you can give our uh, contact. His name is James Parker. He is in our Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Uh, he, you can give him a call. This is his event. This is his baby. He knows a lot about it. The phone number is 773-624-8807.
Okay. Well, All right. That that was that was as always just uh, a whole lot of stuff. So <laughs> I hope it was good stuff, though. <laughs> no, absolutely, a whole Wonderful. lot of good stuff. Wonderful. Glad, glad, glad that you guys can use it. All right. Well, as always, thank you very much, Kim. And our best to all the hardworking folks over at the Chicago Urban League. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you. Same to you. Take care, everybody. All right. All right, Radio Slam family. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with Layla Abdullah-Poulos. And we'll see you in a minute. have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah. And I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. You are listening to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. And remember, we are available wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, or SoundCloud. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, make sure that you are keeping up with us by following and liking our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. <laughs> you will find us at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. And if you'd like to give us a call, do so at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. All right, Radio Islam family, we are now, we're now to the good stuff. We have joining us on the phone, Sister Layla Abdullah Poulos. She is the founder and managing editor of NBA Muslims, an award-winning uh, writer um, and author, as I've said. Um, and we had the, the, the good fortune. We talked with her last, I think it was last month we spoke. Uh, and uh, after that, I said, you know, we, we need to stay in contact. So uh, we are pleased to have her on the line with us again. Assalamu alaikum. My head is blowing up because I didn't realize that was the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I said it at the beginning of the show. I said, I, I, told, I, told, the, uh, I told the Radio Sound family what was going on. And um, I'm just, I'm really excited. And 
I am. I have to say thank you, uh, and I'm thanking you for um, opening my eyes up to Muslim fiction, which is not, yes, not something that uh, not a genre that I had really uh, been aware of. But the uh, the, the selection uh, that you gave, and I have to, I, I'm going to tell on myself. I'm re- I'm reading it on on the Kindle, right? Because I couldn't wait for it to get uh, for the delivery. <laughs> So I'm actually 73%. <laughs> oh, so you don't know the end yet? No, and I cannot wait. I'm going to finish it. My plan is to finish it uh, on my train ride home because okay. it, it tells me okay. I have 57 minutes, which means I probably will be done in 35. Okay. Yeah. Well, it is a really good book, um, Tightrope by Sahar Abdulaziz. She is an excellent Muslim author. And she's written other books before, and she's one of those Muslim authors that tackles really rough issues in her fiction. And that's one of the great things about Muslim fiction is that there are quite a few authors out there that are willing to do that. And so we are blessed that they kind of tackle that on and, 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 and present a lot of right social commentary. And Tightrope was very, very relevant to the time that she, she wrote it and she published it. It was right after the election of Donald Trump mm-hmm. and black black people, even like one uh, black uh, congresswoman, were receiving nooses, Muslims were being attacked. And so the book's main character, Noor Ibrahim, is a black Muslim woman, and she's an activist. And so the book is so dynamic because it really highlights those intersections. Mm-hmm. of receiving discrimination and bigotry and hatred along intersections of race, gender, and faith. And um, so she did that. She took that on and she tackled it. And I think she did a really good job. I think she did a good job with Nora, and I think she did a, jo- a good job with the other main character, Russell, yes. who is the stalker. Yes. What did you think of Russell? You know, I thought it's really interesting. Like sometimes, what well, most most often we look at a person uh, where they are and don't take into account where they come from, mm-hmm. uh, what what brought them there. So Russell, to me, was a, a fascinate is a fascinating character. Um, mm-hmm. He's I mean he reminds me of, of, of some folks that I know, um, but I, I found him to be to be really fat. It was kind of sad. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, it was really sad because he was coming from from a place of loss, uh, and yeah. I just saw in him just a an expression of that uh, as Trump was 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 putting out saying talking about the forgotten Americans, mm-hmm. uh, and that is exactly who he was talking to, the uh, mm-hmm. those people who felt like. The, the the country was was passing them by and, and we're not talking about issues of entitlement or anything like that or, or white white privilege or anything like that those things don't exist f- for those for those people um they just th- yeah go ahead go ahead i think there's a certain level of it is definitely not at the same level as say as the donald trump or, or or anyone in the middle at a certain level of middle class i think that Russell represents a loss of privilege and not being able to channel it effectively because of delusions of supremacy. Yes. He very much is a product of the racial society. He is a he's a white man that benefited certain ways. He was able to get jobs when people of color and black especially were not able to. He was able to get housing and, and mortgages and everything when, when blacks and people of color were not able to. And now he finds himself a victim of the very machine that gave him so much. Mm-hmm. And instead of really kind of being able to focus on what caused him to lose his job and put his home in jeopardy because of gentrification and things like that, he 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 turns it on the people that he's been trained to develop stereotypes about and embrace stereotypes about and hate. And so when he sees Nora on the television, mm-hmm. she's the perfect target because she she embodies everything. Yeah. She's a woman. She's black and she's Muslim. So why not go for her? Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and and channel all of that anger to her. 
Okay, and and even he does it with the loss of his daughter George, as well, because he loses a daughter in the war, and so he channels all of that hate towards someone he does not even know, because he doesn't know how to deal with it effectively, and the only thing he can hold on to, is the racial messaging that he's received from the time that he could cognate it. You know what? So I, I'm sorry. Go mm-hmm. ahead. No, continue. I'm sorry. Oh, you know, I, I when you mentioned uh, his daughter George, so I'm maybe, and this is funny when you when you're reading with the Kindle, you're talking minutes. So I'm about ten minutes, ten or fifteen minutes past uh, the point where the uh, author reveals that George is a is a girl. He's his daughter. So yeah, my mouth just kind of dropped open. Like what? <laughs> you know. I know that was I, good, right? Yeah, so, I was like, alert. I totally forgot about that. People have to. I have to. I have, when I do, when I do ad, ad, analyses, I, I, there's spoiler alerts. You're just gonna know it. Yeah. Uh, I try not to give away <laughs> the ending, but you know, certain things drop. I can't help it. Yeah. And it, 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 it's crucial. It's critical because that was a lot. That was the culmination of his pain. It was just like pain on top of pain on top of pain. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that I'm interested in knowing from you, because mm-hmm. you said, like you said, like you were able to kind of like, like, like put that uh, the whole idea of white privilege to the side and 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 think of him as a human being that's been going through all of this pain and trauma mm-hmm. okay in the media they very much are very good at trying to frame uh whites who can whites who commit acts of terrorism and rage in that way oh he was uh troubled he had gone through some stuff and everything like that okay sure. do you think that that excuses anything that he did to poor nor in the book. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. And it's, it's funny you mentioned it because in the first half, um, we actually talked a, a bit about that. Just, mm-hmm. with, you know, with the uh, the bomber in Texas. Uh, yeah. If you go back to the shooter in Vegas uh, or, or any act of violence that's committed by a, a white American, white male or whatever, it's never uh, it's it's. It's never anything other than a random act. It's never there's nothing else pushed put 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 to it. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I, I can. I was just saying that, as far as white privilege is concerned, mm-hmm. um, it's not something that Russell would have would have been aware of, would have identified with. Uh, and I think you, you stated it uh, better than I did when you said that you know the machine that gave him so much was now. Uh, this was, was a source of uh, of this decline in his life. But what I found really, <laughs> I found it kind of laughable, was in his rant. I think mm-hmm. he, he said something to the effect of this uh, land of opportunity, work hard, uh, go to school, get an education. Right. And he he was a person who did not get mm-hmm. an education. Right. So. He was able to, to stay on a job while everybody else was getting laid off, getting fired, and he just went on about his business. It didn't concern him. He never saw the writing on the wall and didn't think yeah. that he had to do anything differently or exert yeah. any more effort um, that, he was, that he was entitled. He was a secure white male. Yeah, That's absolutely. the thing. He was a secure white male. And I think it's interesting. I think one of the things that Abdulaziz did that was so fascinating is that she kind of she she contrasted in these two characters like that security and that insecurity because Russell wasn't the only place that Nora was getting it from no and so it seemed you know that that was one of the things that spoke to me as a black Muslim woman it's like you know I, I remember once I said to a colleague a white male you know it's hard to imagine that from the time you get up in the morning to the time that you go to bed at night, that you have to be constantly on guard that someone is going to have an issue with you mm-hmm. because of something, your race, your faith, your gender, something. It may be hard to imagine, but there are millions of people who live their lives that way. Every and day. Nora had to live her life that way. Russell didn't. And so when it happened to him, instead of him kind of like looking and thinking about, like you said, he didn't get an education. So instead of saying, well, you know what, I, I got, you know, I, I'm like a whole millions of people who who relied on this whole idea that I was going to have this steady employment. And now I don't. And I ignored the fact that I needed an education. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing stuff like that, he got mad at everybody else. 
And he got especially mad at people of color and especially mad at this black woman. I mean, in the beginning of the book, you know how he addresses her in all his emails. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like he instead of doing that, he shot it out and he and he externalized it because what else is he supposed to do with it? Right. What else is he supposed to do? And I think that she did that very, very well. I think as 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 a black person, sometimes I had I have a, a deficit in understanding that perspective, because it seems like this country is very much sending the message that it was built for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, not by you, right? But for you. And so, what are you complaining about? You know. Yeah. And so it's just like, look, this is the, it's like these blinders that are put on people, and then when it's taken off, what do they have left? But you know what? what? Do they have left? You know, I, I think there's there's a there's a fine line between understanding and agreeing. Um, mm-hmm. And I can understand where someone like Russell uh, comes from, and I can understand how he was shaped, and how. Um, and how that has impacted how he, uh, how he's related, how he sees the world, right? I understand it, uh, but of course, in no way do we agree with it, right? But it's, and in in that, just re, re I guess retelling or giving a, a different narrative, a different understanding, um, that's something that takes such a concerted effort, uh, and has to be done over such a long period of time. Uh, there's so much education that goes into that, um, correcting that miseducation, that, you know, you're going to continue to have Russell's pop up, you know, one after another. But let me ask this, um, because I was also, actually, I loved all of the characters. I, I think she's a wonderful writer. Um, mm-hmm. But Maria, Mariam, excuse me, because she, she would check me, Mariam. Um, uh, this so this is a, a Puerto Rican uh, sister. Yes, Latina. Uh, yes, yeah. Latina sister who has um, uh, who has uh, embraced Islam, and mm-hmm. who is going through the revert convert drama at home uh, with mm-hmm. her family and friends, and her relationship with this new community that she thought was just so open and welcoming at the very mm-hmm. beginning, uh, and and found out that well it wasn't it wasn't that clear cut mm-hmm. um I, I found her story and I, I just can't wait to see how how that ends but <laughs> I found her story to be really uh one that just it just really grabbed me uh as well yes I think that you know there there's a huge there's a very large population of converts slash reverts in the United States mm-hmm. and um the experience is different it, uh, across, uh, for everyone, and, and there could be subtle differences even across racial lines and ethnicities and backgrounds and, and, and socioeconomic spheres. It could be very, very different. And I think that one of the things that Abdulaziz did with Maryam in particular was to show that, you know, some of the things that con- converts or reverts may or may not go through. Okay, because everyone's experience is different. Right. And Miriam had to, to, to deal with the fact that in a lot of American Muslim communities, you know, I was like used to cheer that is no one no one knows your name, no one's glad you came. Type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's you cold. find yourself going in head first. Right. Um, with this idea of of brotherhood and sisterhood and being embraced a certain way. And then reality hits you, mm-hmm. and I think it could be it could be very something that is experienced differently. Especially, I'm sorry, I hate to say it, based on skin tone. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I've I, I'm a, I'm con I'm a convert, and you know, I've I've gone through this experience with a lot of people that are con. My husband's a convert as well. Mm-hmm. I'm very very dark. He's very fair skinned. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's Puerto Rican as well. Mm-hmm. And the way he's treated and the way I'm treated, first of all, it's, it's, there's just stark differences. There's even stark differences based on the way I'm treated because I'm married to him. Because I'm married to this white person, you know, there's a start, I get treated a, a, a different way. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you think about Islam and about the ideals of Islam, going into it as a phase mm-hmm. and then getting hit with the stark reality of Muslims because you got to deal with them. 
you know, I think that's what that that that's what Miriam very much represents. You know, and that not only with the issues with her family, but very much so. What do you do when the sisterhood or the brotherhood isn't so brotherly or sisterly? Yes. And so I like that. That I definitely like that she did that as well. And I also like I also like to a certain extent Ali and his, uh, um, Zaid. Yes. Okay, and his experience mm-hmm. because there are a lot of non-black Muslims who are kind of like bordering this fence that's put up based on anti-blackness and racism. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of like on this fence where they see and they and they, they may see and embrace their fellow black Muslims, but their parents not feeling it, and their cousins not feeling it, and their aunts are not feeling it, and their uncles are not feeling it. Right. And so how do they interact in that way? So I think what happened between him and his father regarding race mm-hmm. and, his, and him feeling more comfortable and a majority black uh, masjid, and his father kind of like wrestling him with that, is also something that really speaks to a, a lot of American Muslim culture because there are these, these, these contact zones, these point of contact between immigrant descent Muslims and black Muslims. And, you know, we see the kids, like, yeah, sometimes it's a harrowing experience, but sometimes, you know, it's a really, it's a really positive experience where maybe the parents, because of just like outright bias the kids some of the kids don't have that they don't develop that to the same extent as their parents do and so they're, they're like there's, there's there's an opportunity to make these connections and i think that they represented that so i think she also did that very well i think that she did a great job with showing the layers of how you know um especially like this whole concept of islamophobia yeah which by the way we're doing holiday they doing book right yeah, so, that's, that's the next one. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Islamophobia, ethnicity, and race, because that's one of the things that, you know, we constantly miss the mark on. And, you know, there are a lot of great articles. Margaret Aziza has a great article about that, about, like, like intersections of race and faith and gender. Uh, 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 Mecca Ali has a really great article about that. And so it's like there are a lot of articles by black Muslim women that are kind of like saying, look, you know, we're, 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 we're being trained to see Islamophobia as this one thing and racism as this one thing and gender oppression as this one thing. Where you have people that are experiencing intersections of it and overlapping of it. And so, you know, we kind of need to look at that because I'm going to. I'm going to oversimplify. I'm going to oversimplify the whole thing, and okay. I'm going to put it into uh, the umbrella of, of of asserting and protecting human dignity. Yes. Um, and I think we're going to continue to find different different layers and different manifestations of uh, of, of of prejudice, right, of bias, mm-hmm. but. That seems to be, and to me, I think that is the the drawing power, um, because I think, uh, Quranically speaking, I think that is something that um, that we feel that our Creator endows us with, that we've been created in a in a dignified state. So, so we rail against that. We rail against anything that goes uh, that goes against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- one of the things th- that you mentioned. Uh, just in terms of the relationship between uh, Zaid and you know his father, or or even Mariam uh, and and her mother, there are questions of identity, right? Each mm-hmm. each parent felt like their child was moving away from an identity that uh, where they felt like they were being lost by seeing their children making decisions that you know to them betrayed an identity that they were trying to. Um, uh, passed down or cultivate or they mm-hmm. wanted to see uh, present after them. So do you think do you think that one of the issues that we face is not necessarily abandoning uh, our ethnicities or abandoning our, our cultural uh, the things that I guess that, that, that have shaped us culturally, those good things but that we have not come to a common term uh, as far as creating an identity that also celebrates our common humanity. Mm. I think that, you know, when you, when you mentioned the Quran, you know, Allah says that he created us as, as complex 
beings and with different cultures and backgrounds so that we could get to know each other. Right. So there's never going to be, and that's one of the things I love about cultural studies, and that's why I went into it and I stuck with it, because it's always fluid, it's always moving. We as human beings are always fluid and always moving. We're always changing things. You know, um, I had uh, an interaction on Twitter about the term NBA Muslims, Mm -hmm. and um, someone said it was too overarching. And, you know, I was just looking, I was thinking of when I coined the term, from a cultural perspective, knowing that it's not going to stay the same. Culture never stays the same. And so that's why it becomes our responsibility to understand each other and get to know each other. And, you know, you bring up Zayd's father and Miriam's mother, okay? Mm -hmm. And I have to kind of, like, be a little provocative here. You know, (laughs) know, as a character, as a Muslim character, he's supposed to know better, okay, than to to, to embrace all of stereotypes and bigotry and everything like that. You know, realistically, no yeah. one, you know, you know, he's supposed to know better, okay? Uh-huh. And so when his, when, his, when his son actually kind of, like, pushes him on that, you know, like, we're Muslims. Yeah. We're not supposed to be acting that way. What happened? He blows up. So, <laughs> it's like, when his, his son is coming from an Islamic perspective, mm-hmm. not necessarily, not an Arab one, an right. Islamic one. Okay, and the two are are, are not uh, like intrinsically connected. So when you're coming from this, he came from an Islamic perspective, his father blew up at him because he was right. The kid was right, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's like when you're looking at the fact that, you know, you need to get we need to be get to know each other better. We need to know and understand where everyone is kind of coming from and not have these blinders on all the time. And I think that's a central message of this of this novel. Mm hmm. Yeah. And also, especially to Muslims, like, listen, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that as, as, as such a complex community as the American Muslim communities are, we're very, very multifaceted and complex. We need to kind of like open up our eyes and talk and dialogue and interact with each other. Because if we keep on looking at it just from this one perspective, which is our own, Mm-hmm. And we ignore the other things that are that are happening to our fellow Muslims, okay, out there. We totally are going to just lose out. We're totally just going to lose out. And so it's just like I think that's one of the primary messages to this book is that if you're thinking about identity, it's not ever a single thing. Mm-hmm. It's not even ever a single thing in your life, okay? Because, you know, up until I was 18 years old, I had a different name and a different faith and a different worldview, and I and identified myself differently. And then, you know, I became Muslim, and it became something else. Then I married someone from another race, totally became something else. Then I had kids that are multiracial. It, totally became, it never stays the same, even in a person's life. It's sure as heck not going to stay the same in populations of people. And so if we can if we decide not to constantly learn and grow and share, we're not. We're never going to progress. We're I, never going to progress as a as a Muslim society. The Ummah is never going to progress anywhere. It's just not going to happen. Allah that, says, "Get to know each other." Mm-hmm. So that's what we need to get to knowing. And that also that also goes back to um, that goes back to removing this, the, removing the walls that we put up. Uh, in terms of it, it's become uh, it's all, I don't want to say a sport, but it is it is trendy to other. It is trendy to leave somebody out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and that has to become uh, that has to become unacceptable. Uh, but yeah. it is a cultural it is a cultural norm. Uh, one of the things you hit on and we are coming down to our last couple of minutes that we didn't really get to explore as much. But I'm glad you did mention. And that is the uh, uh uh, the the interracial um, aspects between um, well not interracial well yeah I guess so yeah uh, between uh, Mariam and uh, and Zaid right so mm-hmm. that's another segment and I'm I'm glad you mentioned because I would I would really like to talk a bit more you say how you get different looks as opposed to your husband uh, the right these are these are some of the things that are they had their root in uh, anti uh, anti-blackness, but also in uh, in the idea of separating yourselves and not wanting to to deal with anybody outside of of what you know. 
uh, or automatically assuming that everyone else is less than if they're not who you are. Yeah. So, well, yeah. first and foremost, that's pharaonic. Yeah. Okay, not Quranic. It's pharaonic because that's how that's how Pharaoh Pharaoh dealt with his people. He separated them yep. into different groups, and which was in and of itself is not bad. But he kept them separate. He kept them suspicious of each other and and, and the children of Israel and, and and even like his own population, the own his own population of Egyptians. That's very Western. Yeah. Okay, and it's, it's, a, it's a human fa- it's a human frailty. It's played and out here. It's played out here it's in America. Definitely played out here because American society is based on a negative binary. Okay, mm-hmm. I have to use that word negative because the law, some his signs are in binary. Right, they're okay? positive. Yes. And so to think of the binary in, as inherently negative is not a good thing because the law created binaries. But, you know, this negative binary, what Patricia Hill Collins calls oppositional binary, where two sides of a binary, one must be bad, one must be good. One must be black, one must be white. One must be poor, one must be rich. That's the way we're trained to think. And we're not, chronically, we're not trained to think that way. We're trained to think of binaries as something complementary to each other, okay, and not not to other things. Okay, so it's like with the sun and the moon, you know, oh, is the sun good and the moon bad? You know, so even gender, but that's a whole other thing, okay? Mm-hmm. Like pushing back on that gender, that negative gender binary that, like, feminism sets up. But that's a whole other conversation. Right. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like we're not, we're not, tra- we're trained not to other, okay? But we do. It was a human frailty. That's what we do. But as we right. try to grow and develop as Muslims, Sister Layla, we'll I'm gonna I'm gonna have to interrupt you. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, we're, we're we're down to our last minute. I thank you so much for uh, for, exactly. for coming on. Uh, inshallah, I look forward to talking to you again about this uh, next the, this this next piece. Uh, we want to go ahead and thank our engineer over at uh, WCEV, Leonard. Thank you very much. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Bake. I'm your host and producer for tonight's uh, edition of Radio Islam, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. The views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and are to be taken as representative of Sound Vision, Inc. And with that, we thank you for joining us and we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.